Well, good morning, everyone. I invite you to open up your Bibles to the book of Numbers, the book of Numbers, chapter 20. We'll be looking at verses 22 through 29 in our text for this morning. Now, as you are turning there, just a word about how we understand the Old Testament. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul comments on what we might think is a somewhat obscure detail in the book of Exodus. He says that Moses would wear a veil after going into the presence of the Lord, that his face would shine with the glory of the Lord, but that Moses would cover his face with this veil. Now Paul argues about this point. He said the reason that Moses wore this veil was so that the Israelites would not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. Paul argues that Moses wore this veil to hide the fact that the Mosaic Covenant was fading in nature. The glory was coming to an end because the glory of the Mosaic Covenant was a reflection of the true, eternal, and heavenly glory of God. The tabernacle was a reflection of the heavenly tabernacle. The law that was written in stone was a reflection of the law that would be written upon the heart by the Spirit. The worship and the sacrifices, they were shadows of the true substance that was to come. You see, the whole system was a true reflection. It was based upon the true heavenly pattern, but it was merely a reflection. And because of that, it was coming to an end. It was fading in its very nature. From the very beginning, those who had eyes to see could see that it was pointing to something else that was to come. You see, when the apostles began to preach Christ. They were preaching Christ from the Old Testament. They were saying, look, He is here. He is present. He was there from the very beginning. And Paul's argument here in 2 Corinthians 3 is that this veil that hides the fading nature of the law remains until you turn to Christ. But all those who are in Christ, when they come to the Word of God and read of the Mosaic Covenant, see Christ. So let us go now to God's Holy Word and see Christ. Numbers chapter 20, verse 22. And they journeyed from Kadesh, And the people of Israel, the whole congregation, came to Mount Hor. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron at Mount Hor, on the border of the land of Edom, Let Aaron be gathered to his people, for he shall not enter the land that I have given to the people of Israel, because you rebelled against my command at the waters of Meribah. Take Aaron and Eleazar his son, and bring them up to Mount Hor. And strip Aaron of his garments and put them on Eleazar his son. 
And Aaron shall be gathered to his people and shall die there. Moses did as the Lord commanded. And they went up Mount Hor in the sight of all the congregation. And Moses stripped Aaron of his garments and put them on Eleazar his son. And Aaron died there on the top of the mountain. Then Moses and Eleazar came down from the mountain. And when all the congregation saw that Aaron had perished, all the house of Israel wept for Aaron thirty days. This is God's holy word for us, His people. Let us pray. Father God, we come to You now and we ask that by the merits of Christ You might send Your Holy Spirit upon us that the veil might be taken away and we might truly see Your Son, Christ Jesus, as we look into Your Word. May faith arise in our hearts and may we ever trust His sacrifice, His intercession, His salvation for us. And we pray this in Your holy name, Lord Jesus. Amen. One literary feature that makes a great story is foreshadowing. Foreshadowing is what happens when the author of the story gives the audience a clue or a taste of where the story is ultimately headed. And so when Juliet says early on in the play, Romeo and Juliet, my grave is like to be my wedding bed, we know that the end is revealed at the beginning. Or for the Star Wars fans out there, when Obi-Wan Kenobi says of young Anakin Skywalker, this boy will be the death of me, we see the end in the beginning. In each of these statements, the end of the story is revealed in the first act. And sometimes it takes going back and rereading a book or rewatching a movie to see that the author actually knew where the story was going from the very beginning. And once you know how the story goes, the clues become very clear. In our text for this morning, we are shown that the Lord knows the end from the beginning. He knows where the story of history and salvation is headed. Even as Isaiah 46 says, the Lord declares the, be- the end from the beginning. Here at the end of Numbers chapter 20, we come to the death of the high priest of Aaron. And on first reading, we might assume that his death is just a part of the story. It's just a fact of the first generation dying off and the second generation taking the reins as they are about to enter into the land of Canaan. Death is just a part of the passage of time. But here in the death of Aaron is displayed not just the next step in the history of God's people, But more than that, it is revealed how and why the priestly line of Aaron will ultimately be ended. And in the very weakness of the priestly line of Aaron, we are pointed to the one who will come and do what Aaron and his sons could never do. And the end of the Aaronic priesthood is foreshadowed at its very founding. 
at its very beginning. And in his death, Aaron reveals that God's people need a priest who is stronger than death. I wonder, have you ever been hired for a job that you were completely unqualified to perform? Somehow you made it through the interview process and got the job, but on day one you realize, I have no idea what I'm doing here. One summer, my dad hired me to work at his IT business. I was a political science major in college. He wanted me to work on elevating the search engine results of different websites of clients that he was representing. And I had no idea what I was supposed to do. I was completely unqualified to perform this task. If my dad weren't the boss, I wouldn't have gotten the job. And even then, I'd only lasted a week. I didn't know what I was doing. Now... From Numbers 15 through 18, the Lord has taken great pains to prove to the people of Israel that Aaron and his children are to hold the priesthood. The judgment of Korah and the budding of Aaron's staff show that Aaron is the man that the Lord has chosen. And yet, as we reflect upon Aaron's life, we get the sense that he is not capable of doing the very job that the Lord has called him to do. The first clue that Aaron's priesthood will come to an end is in Aaron's sin itself. Look at verse 24 of your text. It says, Let Aaron be gathered to his people, for he shall not enter the land that I have given to the people of Israel, because you rebelled against my command at the waters of Meribah. The job of the priest was to represent the people of Israel before the Lord. It was his job to go into the most holy place and represent Israel through offering prayers and sacrifices. Yet the problem is that because of his own sin, Aaron had to first offer sacrifices for himself. It was as though Aaron needed his own priest, somebody that could come in on his behalf and make sacrifices for him so that he could then go make sacrifices for everybody else. He was not truly qualified to do the job that he ultimately was called to do. On his head, he wore this turban with the phrase, Holy to the Lord, inscribed across the front. But a reflection on the life of Aaron proves that he was anything but holy. Do you remember in Exodus when Moses was on Mount Sinai receiving the law? What was Aaron doing? He was leading the people of Israel in idolatry. He fashioned for them a golden calf and declared that it was the God who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. And then when Moses came down and saw what was happening, Aaron said, Oh, you know the people. They are just set on evil. And I received this gold from them. I threw it into the fire and then out of the fire popped this golden calf. I didn't do anything. Then in Numbers 12, we read that Aaron and Miriam oppose Moses' leadership. They claim that they could serve as a prophet just as well as Moses could. 
He was not content with the position he was given. He wanted Moses' position and power as well. And by the very fact that he rebelled, he showed he was not qualified. And finally, as the text alludes to, Aaron, along with Moses, rebelled against the Lord at the waters of Meribah. He did not follow the command of the Lord and proved himself to be an insufficient priest of God's people. If we are to be represented before the Lord, I don't think we want Aaron to be the one that represents us. One who continually by his life is proving that he deserves judgment. And in his sin, Aaron displayed that his priesthood was coming to an end. Though he was the very beginning of the priesthood, though his priesthood would last for generations, we see that it was fading in nature. That by his own weakness, he could not save the people of Israel from their sin. He needed saving from his own sin for the people of the Lord to be truly represented, for sacrifices to be made, for effective prayers to be offered. There needed to be one who would come who was without sin. If there were a classified ads for a priest, one of the qualifications would be holy and undefiled. And clearly, Aaron's sin signals the end, even at the very beginning of his priesthood. But maybe we are being too quick to judge the line of Aaron. Sure, Aaron failed and was prevented from entering the promised land, but maybe there's hope in his sons. Maybe there's hope in the future. Maybe there's hope in the sons that Aaron had. We read in our text that as Aaron goes up the mountain, that his son Eleazar comes as well. And then in verse 23, we read the Lord's instructions to Moses. That Moses is to strip Aaron of his garments and put them on Eleazar, his son. Now, as you could imagine, the garments of the priest were highly symbolic of the office and function of the priest. And so as they stood upon the mountain, Aaron was to hand over his garments to his son. He was to give him this garment called an ephod which is an outer garment worn on the chest. And on this ephod were twelve stones. And on each of the stones was was written the name of one of the tribes of Israel. This was to show the burden of representing the whole nation of Israel had passed to Eleazar, that as he went into the holiest place, that he bore Israel on his very chest. There was also a robe that had bells along the fringe to show that Eleazar was given the duty to worship in the very holy of holy. And again, there was a headdress that declared that the high priest was to be holy to the Lord. Aaron, by his sin, could not enter into the promised land. He had to hand over the office of representing the people to the Lord and the Lord to the people. Yet, in the very passing of the priestly office, we see that the priesthood of Aaron is coming to an end. For even as Aaron proved himself sinful, so too do his children. You see, Eleazar was not Aaron's firstborn son. 
In the book of Leviticus, we see his two older sons, Nadab and Abihu, and they rebel against the command of the Lord and they bring strange fire, the text says, into the sanctuary, which means that they just came up with their own way of worshiping the Lord. They tried to invent their own means of worship and because of their rejection of the Word of God, they die. And this pattern continues throughout the history of Aaron's line. The garments and therefore the responsibility of the priesthood are passed from one sinner to the next. With each generation, there's hope that one might be able to represent the people well. But continually, the sons of Aaron fail. They take advantage of their position. They seek to not, or they do not seek rather the good of the people and they even forget the very word of the Lord. The end is revealed in the very beginning. We might think that if we go through enough sons of Aaron that we'll find one who will be able to represent the people well. But what we see is that the seed of rebellion is passed from one generation to the next. It's not circumstance that made the priests unable to represent the people of God. But rather, it was the very foundation of the priesthood. And therefore, as God's people reflect upon God's Word, we should see that there needs to be a different line of priests. A new line, free from moral corruption. The end is truly in the beginning. God's people should see by Aaron's sin that they need a sinless priest. They should see by Aaron's sons that they need a new priestly line. And finally, they should see that by Aaron's death, they need a priest who can overcome death itself. Look at verses 28 through 29. There we see Aaron's death described. It says, And Moses stripped Aaron of his garments and put them on Eleazar his son. And Aaron died there on top of the mountain. Then Moses and Eleazar came down from the mountain. And when all the congregation saw that Aaron had perished, all the house of Israel wept for Aaron thirty days. You see, the death of the priest signals a very big problem for the people of Israel. As the text says, Aaron died on the mountain. And when Moses came down from the mountain without Aaron and with Eleazar dressed in the garments of the high priest, the nation of Israel realized Aaron has died. And they mourned for him, not the customary seven days, but for thirty full days. Now what is the problem with a priest who dies? Well, the very heart of the ministry of the priest is to bring the life of God to the people of God. Yes, he was to represent the people to God, but he was also to represent God to the people. What I mean is that Aaron was to bring the blessings of God upon the people of God. He was to speak the blessing of number six. May the Lord bless you and keep you. He was to make atonement and bring forgiveness of sins to the people. He was to intercede on behalf of the people, praying that the Lord would forgive, that the Lord would provide, that the Lord would give life. If there is to be life, how will it come through one who is subject to death? 
How is the line of Aaron to represent the living God if they are continually dying themselves? The end of the line of Aaron was seen at the very beginning. How could the life of God ever be given through one who is subject to death? And therefore, the Lord was preparing His people to receive a better priest. A priest who would be without sin. A priest who would be from a pure line. A priest who would come to this earth. And though he would die, he would overcome death so that he might give eternal life to all of God's people. You see, the end of the line of Aaron was worked into the very dough. It was there from the very beginning. The foundation was off. His failure was foreshadowed in the first act. And though the Lord ordained Aaron and his sons to serve as priests for a period, this period was destined to come to an end. And so we might come to Numbers chapter 20 and the death of Aaron and respond as the people of Israel did. With mourning. Because the job qualifications are unrealistic. No one could do what Aaron was called to do. There's no one that could be a proper priest. No one but God Himself could do what God was calling the priest to do. And you might look at your own life and you might think, there is no way that I could fit the bill for this. I could not represent myself before God for I see in myself sin and I see in myself a line of sin from the very beginning of my first parents. And I can see in myself the very marks of death. How? will we ever be represented before God? And while it was right to mourn the death of Aaron, his death points us forward to a far greater priest, one who would not fail as he had failed. For we read in the book of Hebrews that the Lord Jesus Christ came as a priest. And unlike Aaron and his sons who had to offer sacrifices for their own sins, Jesus was without sin and therefore could offer Himself as the sacrifice for sin. Not only was Christ a sinless priest, but He was also a priest of a superior line. For through the line of Aaron, weakness was passed from one generation to the next. But the Lord Jesus Christ was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit, and He was born of the Virgin Mary. He was truly and fully man from the line of Judah. He was, though at the same time, a heavenly man, the Son of God. And as the Son of God, He was not infected with the moral weakness of the rest of humanity. You see, the brokenness of Aaron's line made him unable to bring salvation to God's people. But as the Word of God declares, the law appoints men and their weaknesses as high priests. But the word of the oath which came later than the law appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. And finally, we see that by the, His power over death, Christ is able to save those who trust in Him as their priest. For again, we read, the former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But He holds His priesthood permanently because He continues forever. 
Consequently, He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through Him. Jesus is who God's people needed from the very beginning. He is our representative, for He is sinless, and He can come into the very presence of God and represent us as a sinless man. But He is also the representative of God to us, and He can bring from the very sanctuary of God eternal life to all those who trust in Him. The weakness of Aaron, his sin, his death, are signs that a better priest will arise, a better priesthood will be established. And we who have Christ now clearly see that Jesus is the beginning and the end. That even in the founding of Aaron's line, Christ was in view. And therefore, when our high priest went up upon the mountain of his death, when our high priest was stripped of his garments, and when our high priest gave up his life, it was not a sign of his end, but rather it was the sign of the very beginning of his priesthood, the priesthood that he would hold permanently. You see, the people of Israel looked to Aaron's death, and they should have seen the end. They should have seen the fading nature of the priesthood. But when we look at the death of Christ and His resurrection from the dead, we see the beginning of an eternal priesthood. One established in His blood and by the power of His indestructible life. One that will save us to the uttermost. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us go now to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we come to you now through Christ Jesus, our priest. Jesus, we are pleading that you would represent us before the Father as we come through you. That we might be truly cleansed of our sin. That our prayers might be heard. And that as we come to feast at this table that we might truly receive eternal life. We pray, Father, that You would open our eyes, that You would take away the veil, and that all who are here would trust in Christ as their true and permanent priest. And we pray this through Your holy name, Lord Jesus. Amen.